Today we are continuing in our study in the book of Galatians uh, in a, a message series we're entitling Standing on Grace. And really what we're trying to do is understand uh, Paul's purpose in writing this letter to the church in Galatia. See, un- unpacking God's gift of grace is kind of a messy venture because it causes us to embrace that none of us, no matter how long we've been a part of the church, no matter how long we've been a follower of Jesus, none of us is deserving of God's unmerited favor and unconditional love. Nothing we can do, nothing we can say, nothing we are will ever earn us that gift of grace. I, I once heard of the man who, who died and went to heaven. Of course, St. Peter was there to meet him at the pearly gates. And St. Peter said, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. So you tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a, a certain number of points for each item. And depending on how good it was, when you reach 100 points, you get in. So the man thought, that, that, that sounds fair. So he said, okay, uh, I was faithfully married to the same woman for 50 years. That's wonderful, said St. Peter. That's worth three points. Three points, he said. Well, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry and my tithe and service. Terrific, St. Peter said. That's worth a point. One point? Okay. How about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city and worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Surely that's worth something. That's fantastic. That's good for two more points, he said. Two points, the man cried. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. Exactly. Come on in. I'm just going to say, there was a better response in the first service. But, you, know. <laughs> you guys are all more... But here's the deal. It's, it's important that we be reminded of the purpose of Paul's letter. Because he was pointing some things out. We, we talked about some of the context for the letter to the Galatian church last Sunday. Paul is going about uh, doing ministry and he's planting these churches um, all over in Asia. And he's corresponding with these churches through these letters. We see these Pauline letters throughout the New Testament. And this is his way of continuing to be in conversation and correspondence with them. And at times he has to challenge and kind of encourage the church to change the way they're doing things or change the way they're thinking. And this is one of those letters. There's these Judaizers, as we see them called in Scripture, who are coming behind Paul and they're preaching a different gospel. Paul is, is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and grace. And then there's these Judaizers who are coming behind him, and they're saying that there is a gospel of belief in Jesus plus works. They're saying you've got to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, but there's more to it. You've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and this. I don't know about you, but I don't like big butts, and I cannot lie. <laughs> and these guys are putting a big butt in there. They're saying, you got to do all these things, but you got to do all these other things too. you got to believe in Jesus, but you got to 
You've got to perform all these things. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to, you've got to observe the, the Sabbath. You've got to follow all these laws. And that's the only way that you're going to be, come to a place of right standing before God. And that was not the gospel that Jesus fulfilled. They're in essence dangling these Jewish customs and laws over the heads of new believers. And, and even some of the apostles, if you read the scripture, even some of the apostles, the, the disciples that walk with Jesus are being sucked in to this way of teaching, this way of thinking. Because they come from a Jewish background. See, last week we discussed the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we landed on the reality that the, the truest picture of the power of the gospel at work in a life is seen in the miracle of a transformed life. Your life and my life. That transformation that takes place only when we've completely surrendered our lives to God. Today I want to spend a few minutes unpacking the reality of what it means to be justified or made right in God's eyes and how that process unfolds in our lives. Because we get it wrong a lot of the time. Oftentimes in the church, we have a a tendency to embrace the gift of God's grace without truly understanding how this process of justification is activated in our lives. And so I want to go to the the scripture. We're going to spend our time in Galatians chapter 2 today, starting in verse 15. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't, you can jump on the YouVersion Bible app and follow along with us. The scriptures and the notes are there. We'll also have the passages on the screen for you. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we, we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that Jesus didn't die for nothing. No, no, no. You loved us so much that you sent him that he would die for every one of us. That he would take on the sin of the world, allowing us a way back to you. Allowing us an opportunity to come back into right standing before you. And so Father, we, we embrace that gift of grace today. We thank you for it. And we ask that as we study your scripture, as we embrace this incredible gift of grace, Lord, that you would change us, that you would challenge us, that you would stir our hearts, that we would surrender ourselves to you, and we would see your great purpose in our lives. Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. You know, in this, 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 this passage of Scripture is a, is a challenging one because it challenges us to pull back and really understand what's going on. For starters, we should define what it means to be justified because that's what Paul is talking about. Is this idea of justification. We, we often use these big churchy words and we fail to define them. And so people come in and go, I don't know what that means. It's got a few too many syllables, so I think I'll just sit here. But justification at its core is, is being declared or made right in the eyes of God. It's this idea that when we step into relationship with Jesus, it is just as if we never sinned. That was how I remembered it. When I was a kid, and they threw out the word justification, and I started getting the dictionary out. They say, just, just here you go. It's just as if you never sinned. And that's what we're talking about, is this idea of being justified through faith in Jesus. So how does justification work, you ask? Well, we need to realize that no one can justify themselves. No one. Not any one of us has the power to justify ourselves before God. We're not that good. We're not that great. We're not. It's not based off of your work. See, many people live their lives feeling like they're in full control of their destiny and the outcome of their time on this earth. And the reality is no matter how hard we try and do the right things in life, in the scope of eternity, it will never be enough. Because the right things aren't enough. The right set of rules is not enough. Being just a great person is not enough. And I hear it, I hear it all the time. Ah, I do this, you know, and I, I help over here, and I volunteer at this place, and I serve over here, and, you know, I give when, when there's an opportunity to give. I'm a generous person. I live with integrity and honesty. I do business the right way. God and I have an understanding. We're good. And there are many people who are running around living really good lives thinking that somehow that's going to amount to something. I can remember times in my life where that was how I lived. And it's interesting, we live our lives and, and we sometimes find ourselves at odds with people. We get into disagreements or arguments. I can remember a time when Gretchen and I were first married that we would have the occasional argument. Most of the time it was about important stuff like finances and responsibilities around the house and the oh-so-loaded question of how does my homemade mac and cheese compare to your mom's? I only answered that question wrong one time, for the record. I'm not that slow of a learner. But when you have an argument or what we would like to refer in our house as a spirited discussion. And you have these arguments with someone you care about and they come to a conclusion. Sometimes there's this lingering question, are, are we all right? Are we good? And there's this, this tension, this friction of, of wondering, are we okay? Is our relationship okay? See, biblically speaking, we're born into an ongoing argument with God. 
when it comes to our humanity. The argument started in the Garden, Garden of Eden when, when sin entered the world. And naturally, we want to know in our relationship with God, are we all right? Are we okay? And if not, what do we need to do to be all right? And this is the question Paul addresses in this portion of the letter to Galatians in the second chapter. See, after a, a, a brief biographical section in the beginning parts of, of chapter 2, where Paul kind of reviews his calling and his relationship with and, and standing among the church and among the other disciples, Paul then moves on to our, our relationship with God. And he states very, very clearly, it's, it's not what we do, but in whom we believe that justifies us. It doesn't have anything to do with what we do. It has everything to do with our confession of faith. Look here at Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Who are we called to put our faith in? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, right. Go with the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we are called to put our faith in Christ and we're justified through that faith. And the word justified, is a, is a, it's a legal term. It relates to the judgment of a judge toward the accused. And we're either justified or we're the opposite of justified, which would be Condemned. And before Jesus showed up on the scene, just, just so we're all clear, we were all condemned because of our sin. We were condemned to be separated from God for eternity. But through faith in Jesus, we are justified. As Tim Keller writes, justification means that in Christ, though we are actually sinners, we are not under condemnation. God accepts us despite our sin. We are not acceptable to God because we become righteous. We actually become righteous because we are acceptable to God. I mean, think about that. <laughs> There's nothing you can do that can make you righteous. There's nothing that you can say that can make you holy. But we are made righteous because God accepts us. It's not the other way around. We accepted God and now we're made righteous. No. <laughs> it's God accepted us and sent his son so that we could be made righteous. It's really, truly an amazing picture. Because we spend way too much of our lives, much of, too much of our time trying to justify ourselves. See, we, we justify our ways of thinking, you know, we, we, we come up with all kinds of information and, and, you know, proof, and, you know, it's this or it's that, and we dialogue and we disagree and we, we justify the way that we think. Well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this, and this is why. We justify our actions, good, bad, or ugly. 
We like to do things the way we do things, and then we justify it on the other end. We justify our beliefs, the way we think about things, the way we embrace Scripture. Maybe we're just kind of on the line of tweaking it a little bit, then we justify it so that it fits our narrative, that it fits our way of living. And we are experts at this in the church. And these guys were too. They were preaching the gospel and they were saying, you got to love Jesus and there's more. You got you to have faith in Jesus and you got to do this and this and this. And we try to justify ourselves. See, we, we rarely consider the motives behind our actions, good or bad. Our spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, Sabbath rest, tithing and mission support, truly stepping into what it means to be obedient to Christ. Because we're too busy. Mornings are crazy. I'm not a morning person. Don't talk to me before I have my coffee. Weekends are my only time for myself. I like to do my yard work between 9 and 11-ish. Our lifestyle decisions, we try and justify our relationships, healthy and unhealthy. We, we try and justify our habits. We justify our choices and our decisions and the, and the directions we take in life. Try and make it look okay. Because if we look okay to everybody around, then we're okay, right? But do we really allow our life decisions to be guided and directed by God? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit into the conversation? I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've found myself blazing my own trail and then intermittently checking in with God. It's like, all right, I want to go do this. I'm going to pursue this. God, you good with this? Okay, I'm going. You just come, you come along with. And we, and we, and we tend to, to look at God as an add-on. See, if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of spending the entirety of our lives trying to justify the way we live. We'll put all of our time and energy and resource into making ourselves look okay for other people. But all that really matters is what God thinks. See, grace is an empowering force. There's, 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 there's been many times for us in our home that we've asked our kids, Help. I don't know if this is what it's like in your home, but we come to this place where we'll ask our kids to help us pick up the house or pick up the rooms or, hey, can you do this? Can you take care of that? This actually happened this past week. <laughs> and I don't know what happens in your house, but, but, but our kids fight us over the request. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like pulling teeth. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah. They don't want to do it. Hey, can you, can you get your room picked up? And can you maybe just vacuum it downstairs? Dad, you know, 
how hard my life is. I went to school, and then I went to track practice. I haven't even had a snack. What have you done? Nothing, sweetheart. I only work two hours a week. Three if I'm long-winded on Sunday. But it's interesting, if you've ever seen this strange phenomenon happen in your house, there's this small miracle that happens the minute Gretchen and I enter into the mess and begin to pick things up. Because at some point, you just kind of lose, it's just like, you know what, this is idiotic. I, we'll, just, we'll just take care of it. So we'll go and start picking stuff up. And oh, no, 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 I got it, I got it, let me get it. And then they want to jump and start helping, and you're like, wait, what's going on here? And they either jump in out of guilt or a sincere desire to, you know, to, to, to pick up. But in a sense, that's what grace does for us. It reminds us that, that God jumped into the mess of our lives and worked to clean it up without us lifting a finger. It wasn't like we were stuck in our sin and we were stuck in all of our stuff and God began to come clean it up and we were like, I got it, I'm helping, I'm helping here. No, we were stuck, stuck, stuck. And God began to do the work to clean things up. And so we should be motivated by the power of God's grace to continue to walk in obedience, that our lives would be a reflection of his grace of his power to change us. See, we were chosen by God and changed by God so that we might be obedient to him. That's what 1 Peter 1.1 says, that, 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 that my grace and peace may be multiplied to you, may be complete in you because of your obedience. That we would reflect the heart of God. See, the gift of grace, Paul continues to emphasize, in his letter to the Galatians, deals with the fact that God's love, not our actions or our worthiness, should cause us to desire to live in a way that pleases him. It's not because you're great. It's because God is. And because he loved you. He loved me. Sent his son so that we could have life, so that we could step into new life. That's why we should live in a way that points people to him. We've got to embrace that we can't justify ourselves. See, God's gift of grace is what brings us into right standing with him. It's his grace alone. We have to remember that it's only by grace that we can receive the gift of new life and really be restored to relationship with God. But it has to start with an understanding. An understanding that there's nothing that we can do or say or be that will fix the sin in our lives. See, the problem that existed in the early church was their belief that if they followed a set of rules, if they lived by Jewish laws, they'd be made right before God. Because that was the law. And then Jesus came and fulfilled the law and it changed everything. But Paul takes direct exception with this line of thinking. Listen to what he says in Galatians 2.17. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? 
Absolutely not. If, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. See, the law is what shows us we're sinners. We have to die to the law to be made alive in Christ. See, I've, I've navigated these seasons of my life as a kid and a young adult where my, where my so-called faith was empty ritual. It was knowing all the right answers and you know, memorizing the scriptures and doing all these things that would get me to a place of, of, of right standing before God. I knew the scriptures. I used all the, the churchy phrases, right? Like, bless you, and grace and peace. And it was, you get bonus points if you say it with a deep voice and you bring it from down here. Grace and peace be with you. The only problem is I failed to really surrender my life and my heart to God because I wanted to keep control. I wanted to be in charge. God, you're great, but I think I've got this figured out. And when push came to shove, my faith was wrapped up in my desire for control. It was wrapped up in my desire to pursue the things that I wanted to do in my life. Truth is, every one of us can fall into this trap of merely doing the right things, following a set of rules. But has our, has our heart truly been changed? Are we living in daily relationship with God? Where we're inviting the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our steps, where we're asking God to show up in every moment of our lives. See, even the best of us can put our spiritual walk on autopilot. We just kind of hit the button and go. And we blindly go throughout our days just doing the things that we know to do really not intentionally purposing any aspect of our lives. You want to know the problem with autopilot, though? At some point, there will need to be a change in course. And if you just put it on autopilot, it's not going to go well when you get there. I mean, we're seeing too many pastors, high-profile leaders, Leaders of the faith fall, even in recent weeks and months. That's because we put it on autopilot. It's because we just said, well, I'm, just, I'm doing all the right things. This is all good. And all it takes is a little bit of, of a compromise. All it takes is, is, is setting our own agenda in front of God's plan and purpose. All it, says, all, all it takes is, is saying yes to the wrong thing. And we find ourselves going down a path we never were meant to be on. See, it becomes very clear that our only hope for relationship with our loving Heavenly Father is to place our faith and belief in Jesus, not in what we do. Paul in Romans 10.13 says it plainly, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. See, the Jewish leaders were, were so wrapped up in making sure people were doing all the right things and following the law 
that they didn't understand. Paul says, through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. We have to be willing to hold, grab hold of the grace that God has given us through Jesus. We have to be willing to be a, a church community who welcomes in people who are hurting and who are messy and who are searching and who are questioning and who are doubting. Are we willing to do that? Because it's easy to say yes to the question. It's a little different deal when it starts happening. Or better yet, are you willing to invite that person? It's the picture in Luke 15. Jesus is hanging out with, with all the wrong people and all the right people are ticked off about it. So are we the wrong people or are we the right people? Are we inviting the wrong people in? Are we desiring relationship with those people who don't yet know who God is? Because last time I checked, the Great Commission that we find in Matthew was not to go hang out with churchy people. What did it say? Go and make what? Disciples. Of all nations. Of all people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Such a simple thing. But when was the last time you spoke to your neighbors, prayed for your neighbors, invited your neighbors into relationship? When was the last time you went out of your way at work to listen to somebody's story, to invest yourself in their life? See, I think... You know, in, in our neighborhood, and I'm sure in many of your neighborhoods, you'll find those times when, you know, somebody loses their dog or their cat, and on almost every light pole, there's a sign, right? Maybe you've lost a little furry friend, and you did this. But when you first notice these signs, you, you feel that tinge of sympathy. You're like, oh, you know, you should probably go look for it. You know, maybe if we see it, we'll take it back and... But then nothing seems to happen. The seasons change. The signs get faded out because of the weather. Sometimes you can even go into your neighborhood and these signs are still up. I can't help but wonder, is anyone actually looking for these animals? Do they expect you know, us to do all the work? Maybe they're, they think if the, they just put the signs up, the pets will you know, read the signs, realize they're missing, and saunter home. But this isn't the way that God seeks us. The shepherd doesn't just put up a sign that says, hey, I, I lost a sheep. No, he leaves the 99 behind and he goes and searches for the one that's missing. That's the story in Luke 15. He leaves the 99, he, he goes and looks for the, the one. And as believers, we need to be reminded that we were once the one that was lost. We were the lost sheep. And, and, and God came in pursuit of us to show us His grace. When we remember our own need for grace, it should cause us to desire to show that same grace to others. 
It should cause us to want to break outside of our little holy huddle, our little church community, to invite people in. See, are we willing to go outside of this place? Or is it just enough to come together on Sunday morning and say, God is great, isn't he? God is only great when he's living through us. He's always great. But God's greatness can only be seen in your life and in mine when when we're allowing his greatness to be seen. When it's not just about us. God's called us to surround ourselves with people who need his love and need his grace and to cooperate with him in the pursuit of showing and sharing God's love. See, God has placed people all around us at home, at work, at school, at the gym. People who not only need to see the grace of God at work in us, but should be invited into the opportunity of experiencing that grace themselves. The final thought today is this. Justification comes through faith in Jesus' finished work. It's not work that's still being done. Jesus did the work that needed to be done once. And the miracle of God's grace is found in that the only prerequisite to being made right with God after a lifetime of sin and selfishness is to embrace the work done through Jesus' death and resurrection. Just to believe by faith. But it seems too simple, doesn't it? How can we be made right with God simply by having faith in Jesus and his work? When we place our faith in God, we begin to live as if it were in an alternate reality. The life we now live, our true experience of life, is not in our power, but through our faith in him. And when we begin to identify with Jesus by faith so completely, hear this, when God looks at you and looks at me, he doesn't see us anymore. He sees his son in us. Did you hear that? When we choose to step into relationship with Jesus by faith, when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner anymore. He sees His Son living in us. That should like blow your mind. That's a good amen spot. There you go. There they are. What an, what an incredible picture of God's grace. That there is nothing you can do to make yourself right. But when you accept Jesus by faith, God, Son, is living through you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's good news. That's good news that should be shared. It's as if we have been crucified with Christ. 
and have gone through the sacrifice of atonement for our sins, even if all we did was believe that Jesus did that for us. See, you didn't have to pay the price for your sins. You didn't have to die. But we get the same promise. (laughs) Don't miss what what, what Paul's saying here at the end of this this passage. In these two, two verses, 20 and 21, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. See, this first point is is critical. If someone could be saved by what they do, then Jesus died in vain. If you could just fix yourself and be good enough, then Jesus didn't need to die. But no, God's Son left the glory of heaven, came to earth, entered the limitations of our flesh, fully God, fully man, entered a human body, and then died the death He did because there was no other way for us to be made right with God. And what was His motivation? Love. That's it. He loved. Jesus loves us and gave himself up for us so that we could be saved by by faith in him. Incredible promise. I read this amazing article in the Huffington Post as we close about the power of a gift. Talks about this this young lady who was working as a waitress in Pennsylvania. She was a a nursing student named Melissa. She received a tip that would change her life. While talking to a stranger about her financial troubles, Melissa was stunned when he offered to help her with her school bills. In the end, the man, a local philanthropist, named Benjamin Olwine III, gave her about $30,000 to pursue her education. Now a nurse, Melissa, in in an uh, amazing twist of fate, works in a hospital wing named after Olwine, a title given because of his generous support of the hospital. Melissa says, I think that's the most important part of the story, is that he helped me. So I just want to help everyone else. God's gift of grace, have you received it in such a way where you want to share it? Where you want people to experience the grace of God? Because God's gift of grace was never meant for us to take and It was always meant to be shared so that none would perish, so that everyone would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus paid the price that we couldn't, the debt of our sin, 
And because of this incredible gift of love, we can walk in His freedom. That freedom should also compel us to show grace and forgiveness to others. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we prepare to close? Father, we thank You. We thank You for loving us so much. For showing us what it means to love people. For giving us the gift of grace. See friends, passages in the Bible like this should make us think long and hard about how we become right with God. If you died today and found yourself the gates of heaven and you were asked, why should I let you into heaven? How would you justify being allowed into the presence of God? Because you tried to be good? Because you were, you were just good enough? Because neither one of those answers is sufficient. Have you really tried your very hardest to be the best possible person you can be? And if so, what about the times you failed? See, the answer is found right here. It's an, it's, it isn't an easy answer, but it is simple. There's no reason why you should let me into the presence of God except for this. I believed in Jesus. Perhaps that's where every one of us finds ourselves this morning. Having some measure of doubt, struggling and grappling with the, with the reality of, of things that are going on in life, and really truly trying to understand what this life's purpose is. The truth is, Jesus died for every one of us so that we could all be brought into relationship with God. And so as we close this morning, I, I, I want to say a prayer that we say each week. But Perhaps this prayer is for every one of us today. No matter how long you've been in relationship with Jesus, maybe today is a reminder that God is still working and He's still moving. And He still has a purpose and a plan for your life. He's not done yet. You've not been sent off into retirement. So as we pray this prayer, whether you're praying it for the first time or praying it for the thousandth time, I believe God is desiring to speak to each and every one of our hearts to remind us of His incredible grace and his desire for relationship. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be invited into relationship. So as we say this prayer today, can we say this together? Dedicating and devoting ourselves again to God's purposes and plan for our lives. And if you're saying this for the first time, would you say it from your heart? Let's say this church family. Father God, please forgive me. I have sinned and made a lot of mistakes. I believe your Son, Jesus Christ, 
came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so that I could have a restored relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I cannot change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. What an incredible gift. Here's my challenge to you. God's gift of grace was not ever just for you and you alone. Yes, we receive it very personally, but God's desire is that we would go out and we would share it. That when we engage with people in our spheres of influence, that we would invite them into that place of grace. So as we go out of this place, can we purpose ourselves to be those that would share the grace of God with people who are in desperate need? When we're in the marketplace, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're in our neighborhood, can we be those who are stepping outside of our comfort zone to invite people in to relationship, to hear their stories, to show God's grace, to show His love in tangible ways? I know as we do that, God is going to be faithful to do the heavy lifting of changing a heart. We can't do that. But God's grace, when embraced, changes everything. We're excited for what God has in store for you this week. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And uh, let's go out and be the neighborhood this week.